You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good to praise the Lord together. I invite you to find your scripture before you head again to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We are moving on two verses this time instead of one, so I'm going at breakneck speed here. But uh, Philippians 3, if you can look that up. Uh, be, and two things before we get there. One is just, I want to just personally encourage you again if, you, if your family's looking for a family missions trip, you said, I would like to do a family missions trip. There is one next weekend, right? It's got all the things I think of a missions trip. There's probably more than this, but you think of missions trips as hot. So it's got that for you. It's, you think of crossing a border. It's that, that foreign land of Wisconsin. They need the Lord over there. And uh, so that, but there's also, there's working together with one another. Nothing can beat that. Uh, serving this mission that we support as a church. Um, and then just an opportunity even to, to work as a family. So this is, I think kids and everybody, right, can come. So this is like, a, I mean, sometimes there's missions trips where just the adults go or this sort of thing, but you can go as a family. So let me just encourage you, once again, another plug, just to uh, come and join us. If you're even, you know, half interested, let us know and, and do that. As well, we've got one picture from last week. Malachi and Weston both drew, but I took Weston's this week, and they're both up in the back. Weston turned this in. Great drawing of gold and silver and Weston from First Peter saying God is worth more than silver or gold. And we've been talking about their surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So thank you, Weston, for giving me that picture last week. Hope by this time you're in the Word of God before us, Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 7 today, but we'll really our focus today is on verses 10 through 11. So 7 just backs us up a little bit to give us a little bit of context so we're not just starting here in the middle. So let's listen to God's word this morning. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray again. Lord, again, we just ask for your spirit to work now through these few words that I will share. Lord, work through that, work through your word that we will read together and see in other places, that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts, that we would proclaim today, there's none like you. You are almighty. You do amazing things. May we glorify you in resurrection power, in suffering, in our life, knowing that you're working to conform us to the image of your Son. We thank you for this, and Lord, do that work on our hearts, even now as we listen, as we read, as we think on this text of your word. We pray for your help, Lord. Amen. 
probably already know this very interesting fact about Leroy. It's pretty cool. We live at the headwaters of the upper Iowa. I know it doesn't, yeah, they're small. And some of you probably know exactly right where they start, or maybe it's a couple streams. I don't know that. I didn't look into that part. But we start at the headwaters. It's listed, you go to Upper Iowa Association. Now, we know the tourism part starts in more in Iowa, so we've got to work on that here. But, but uh, it starts here, the headwaters. But it doesn't stay here. It flows. It's a, it's a river that flows small where it starts, goes into Lake Louise, over the dam, heads on down, gradually deepening, deepening widening as it goes, um, obstacles along the way, but it grows and it eventually grows, right, towards the Mississippi. So that's, isn't that just cool? From Leroy, you can get to the ocean. It goes to the Mississippi. I mean, it's over a few trees in the river. Some of you know, but uh, out to the Mississippi, down to the Gulf, and out to the ocean. So amazing where it flows, but it widens. I think Paul has something. Paul doesn't have the, the upper Iowa River in mind, but something in mind, something similar to this widening river as he moves out of verse 9 into verses 10 through 11, an ever-deepening relationship with Christ, knowing Christ. One, we looked at verse 9 last week, that involves a righteousness that is by faith in Christ. Justification by faith, being declared righteous by faith in Christ. The headwaters, if you will, of our faith. But our knowing Christ is not just a mere moment. Kind of that, that was a moment. I came to know Him, and I'm, I'm just waiting now for heaven. It's something that once begun, it moves, it deepens, it's to widen as it goes. There's a journey of growing to know Christ. So as we get back into our text here, it's helpful to step back, get a little bit of context. I've I've read some prior to this. The sentence we're in, verses 10 through 11, believe it or not, starts back uh, where? In verse 8. In verse 8, that's where the Greek, if you start at verse 8, it's one sentence to the end here. It's one long sentence. Now the ESV puts a, puts a period somewhere in verse 8 there, about midway through verse 8. Otherwise, it's one long sentence. So if we review Paul's train of thought here, we, we go back to verse 8, his statement there, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So then verse 8 and just into verse 9, Paul here, he's, he's willing to suffer the loss of all things. He wants to know Christ. I want to I gain Christ into verse 9, be found in Him. And then we looked at verse 9 last week. Paul's righteousness comes not from law following. His confidence is not in his flesh. It's in Christ. That's where his face looking to. The object of his faith is Christ Jesus. And then as we get to verse 10, Paul sort of circles back again, returns, I think, to the, to the theme again of knowing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at verse 10. That I may, and there it is again, I, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. The first phrase here, it's a purpose phrase, that I may know Him. It's what Paul's purpose, that there's This is what I want. I want to know Christ. That's his greatest goal, this surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And again, it comes right on the heels, this explanation of of righteousness coming through faith in Christ. So Paul presently, in the present, has this righteousness. Again, last week, 
justification, we call it justification by faith. Whereas the sinner is declared righteous on the merits of Christ alone. It's faith in that. Faith is not a work. Faith is resting in Christ. But he goes on from there then to speak of this purpose, that I may know Him. For Paul, his main goal was simply not just to to get salvation, even though that's a wonderful gift. Don't hear me say it's just salvation. It's a wonderful gift, but it's what salvation gets, and it gets Christ, all of Him. Whether it's Christ's resurrection, as we're going to see, or His sufferings. Paul wanted to know Christ. He wanted to live like Him. For us, and maybe if you've grown up in, a, in, in the church or in a Christian home, the Christian life, it's not about seeking just a thing, seeking salvation. It's seeking the person, the person of Jesus Christ. That's who is eternal life. Remember Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Seeking a person in Christ. And that's what Paul desires to know, Christ. Not, not just about his death on the cross, but the glory in Christ as this glory of God in the flesh. I want to look at this knowing Christ to know Him a little bit, and I'm going to use some places in Scripture. So if you're, if you're up for it, um, come with me to a couple places. One's very short, just backwards a little bit if you're in Philippians, to Ephesians chapter 4. I think in a way with some of what we're looking at today, we could just read Scripture upon Scripture of places to go and take us uh, through this. But we're looking just at a couple places. Ephesians 4.11, if you want to find your way there, is helpful. Again, commentary of Scripture is great by Paul. Help us, Paul, understand what you're saying. He says it some places in short phrases. Some places help us understand what he's saying elsewhere. Using Scripture to interpret Scripture. You can do this on your own, when you're studying the Word on your own, to use that. It's so helpful. And so he makes a similar call for knowledge here from Ephesians 4. He's speaking about the varied gifts of grace we have according to Christ. And then let me just start here in in verse 11. Particularly, we're paying attention to verse 13, but I'll I'll read to the, the end of this little section. Paul says, "...and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers..." to equip, there's purpose statements there, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, here's verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The knowledge of the Son of God, Christ, is what brings saints to mature manhood. And with this knowledge comes a ship built for strong waves and not tossed around like a small rowboat. We're on a water theme. I don't know, it's Upper Iowa, it's oceans today. But you think of yourself out in a storm 
in an ocean. I didn't get my pictures in there, but I think, think of a small rowboat out in the ocean. You're just kind of tossed wherever it's going. Row as you might. You're going wherever the storm is going to take you. As opposed to one of those big, you know, the cargo liners with all the, all the shipping containers on them. They're huge. They're huge. And they're big and they're massive and they're not easily moved. So in an ocean of huge waves and storms, God's people must be equipped, built up to withstand the waves. And the way to do that is verse 13 in Ephesians. We attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and then growing up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. There's a growth there. Well, back in Philippians Verse 10 then. So, just what exactly is it that Paul desires to know of Christ? His purpose is to know Christ, this ever-deepening, maturing growth here. And I think the answer is summed up in two words centered on Christ in this passage. And they come right following his words to know him. There's the power of his resurrection and there's sharing in his suffering. Christ is made known to Paul through resurrection and suffering. Let's look at the resurrection first. The text says this of Paul. He says that I may know him, again, and the power of his resurrection. Who's Christ's resurrection, right? The power of his resurrection. And so we come and we ask, Paul, what, what is the power of the resurrection? What, what is this? What's Paul saying here? Let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture. All right, head with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. I love it when God works out a service. Uh, Brandon read a little bit from later on in 6. I'm a little... Uh, so go back a little further than Ephesians. Romans 6, verse 4. Again, of, of different places, but Romans 6. We'll just look at couple, two verses here. Last week, remember, we went back to Romans 3. Chapter 3, this week, Romans 6. Help us understand, what's Paul, what does he mean by desiring to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? What's this power? What's going on here? Hopefully, we'll, we'll let the Scripture speak. But Paul, I think he's making a case, right, that the believer is united in Christ. And so we who are in Christ, we've, we've died to sin and we're raised to life. Look at verse 4, if you're in Romans 6. We were buried... Therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, kind of this unification with Christ, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in, what do you see there? Newness of life. Christ being raised to the dead, from the dead, by the glory of the Father. In Acts, we read more than once Christ, his resurrection, that God raised him from the dead. This is Jesus, crucified at the hands of, of sinners, really, of, of the people. He died. He's laid in a tomb. He didn't stay there, did he? Three days later, he rises, no longer dead. He's accomplished all for righteousness. And so God raises him from the dead. And I think we can say, quite simply, even though there's, probably, there's other implications here, the power of the resurrection is this, that God raises what is dead and gives it new life. He takes what's dead, gives it 
new life. A couple other places, well, one other place. Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus... See, there's a Trinitarian going on. God's Spirit. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that Spirit that raised Jesus, if He dwells in you, listen to this, dear brother, sister in the Lord. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If you're in Christ, you're united to Him by faith. You are a resurrected life. Not just what one day you will be, and we'll talk, Paul, look at that, the physical resurrection. But even presently, we have new life. You're a new creation. God's power is at work in every believer to breathe life into what was dead. That's what God does. Christ in you, you've been breathed to new life. We have new life in Christ. Well, back to Philippians. Power of the resurrection. We're in this new life. God, this is a work God is doing in us. And I think for all of us, we, we would love to experience the power of the resurrection, new life, in a sort of, I've conquered sin, I'm not going to fail again, a, a suffer, suffering-free life. i got new life, I, no longer to suffer. But back in Philippians, look at, look at Paul again, right on the heels of the power of his resurrection, knowing Christ, are found in the same sentence, Paul's desire to share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. For Paul, the route to knowing Christ, gaining Christ, is found not just in resurrection power, but in suffering and death. And So we might ask here, how are these two related? How is this? There's a power of the resurrection, and then there's Paul that says, I want to share. I want to have this fellowship and sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. How do we reconcile those two? Why the suffering? I'm going to give some thoughts here. And I just preface that with, with thoughts. I don't, I, I'm so thankful for Peter's language. I can't remember the verse. Some things that Paul writes are hard to understand. Even Peter says that. And I'm thankful for that. Because I, sometimes I come to these places and go, wrestle, what? Paul, how do you, what are you talking about here? What's going on? But let me give some thoughts on suffering, on how God's working through that. Even though God, I just want to recognize He's doing marvelous things. It's challenging to answer. I don't, we don't know all the whys. We know overarching, what does God do? He does all for His glory. The whys and all those little questions, we don't know. But let me give some thoughts on suffering. Maybe even why, what's the sharing of suffering as a believer? Here's out of two, number one, it's the path. Suffering is the path of all who would desire to follow and know Jesus. If you desire to follow Jesus, suffering is right on that path. It's not a secret like, oh, we got on and we didn't know. Jesus told us. Paul's confirming it here. Jesus said this, John 15. He predicted it. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, 
Therefore, the world hates you. Well, there's encouragement, right? But that's Christ. That's who we're following. He goes on to say, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If the master suffered for, at this point, if he suffered, then his own people, those who follow Christ, will in the same way suffer. Christ following comes at a cost. We're to count that cost. Think of the accounts of the apostles. When we studied the book of Mark, I had written out um, the different apostles and, and looked at them and how their lives came to an end. And we don't know, some maybe, is it legend or not, but... but uh, by and large, all of them except John, even though he was exiled, all of them faced crucifixion, being slain, martyred, all these things. And these are the apostles. These are the followers of Christ. They faced that. Now, one author, Sinclair Ferguson, he writes this regarding this section here. Maybe it's helpful to you. And he's writing about a kind of a chiastic structure here. Now, I'm going to use a big word there, chiastic structure. That's okay to learn, C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C, or he says a chiasmic structure. And you're going, yeah, chiasmic structure. Uh, it's, it's where, and some of you from poetry, we talked about this, where you've kind of got, in, in, in lines of text, you've got uh, orders here. If you look in the text, you, you can kind of see it. I think you see it in your text. You've got the power of his resurrection is listed first. There's a phrase there. And then you've got share his sufferings. And then the next line down would be becoming like him in his death. So suffering and death are related, the two inner parts. And then you've got resurrection, the power of his resurrection. And at the end, you've got that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So kind of this, this grouping. The Bible's so awesome. I mean, we can read it as a five-year-old and understand the message, and yet scholars can look at these things and see patterns of what Paul is doing and developing here. So here's what this author writes of this. He says, in this chiasmic structure, resurrection, death, and then death, resurrection, maybe you see that pattern there, Paul sees that as one who is united by the Spirit to the risen Christ and who therefore lives in newness of life, he is also united to the crucified Christ and shares in the outworking of Christ's death. Now he goes on from there. He says this, There is therefore a process, outward as well as inward, in which the pattern of the believer's life is conformed to the basic pattern of Christ's life, namely death and resurrection. Maybe makes sense to you as I read that. There's a pattern. The believer's life to be made like Christ is going to follow Christ's pattern of death, suffering, resurrection. We have a, a present new life in Christ, and yet we face suffering until He should return, or we are raised once again, never to die again. So that's number one. The path of all who follow Christ face death. Number two, thought-related God is doing His Christ-transforming work through the trial, through the suffering. In some way, the power of the resurrection, this new life, is being worked out as we endure trial and suffering. 
one place. The apostle Paul calls it, you might call it, sufficient grace. The very familiar words of 2 Corinthians 12.9. Remember Paul's given a thorn in the flesh, ultimately given by the Lord, ultimately under his decree. He pleads for the Lord, take it away, take away this thorn. But here's what the Lord said to him. And some of you just know this. These are precious words, but think of it in the context of power, the power of the resurrection. Hear these words. The Lord says to Paul, in the midst of this thorn, suffering, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God does His Christ-transforming work in us as we are made new and we're being made new. It's His work conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and it's often through suffering and trial. Romans 5 speaks of this speaks of the suffering that produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So to sum up, if we're to be Christ's followers, if we're to know Christ, then we will know suffering and death. And God, in our suffering, in those trials, is shaping us into the image of His Son. In a way... I mean, we're, we're never glad, we're not like, I want trials, I want suffering, but we, we know they come. And they come to us, and when they come, uh, one writer, I think Paul Miller even talks about, we, there's a sense of joy as those come and we say, that's just not how we look at our suffering, right? We don't go like, yes, I'm suffering this week, it's awesome. But there's that sense of, in my weakness, guess who's going to be strong? Christ Jesus, guess where my eyes are going to go? Jesus, this, you're, my, you're the only hope that I have. And we're strengthened in that. And there's this shaping, even in the depths of trial. And we know Christ, we know His value, and I think we know it in a way we could not if those trials and suffering had never come. Lastly, then, verse 11. The, the last part of this kind of... the. We'll use our big word, chiasmic structure here, right? Verse 11, look at it. And then Paul concludes this by saying, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If we did not hear, if we did not have the rest of Paul's writing, or even just verse 9, we we might conclude that Paul has in mind here some sort of works-based attaining mindset as it relates to the resurrection of the dead. That's what it sounds like. Unless we knew Paul, if we read it right here, we're like, okay, there's, a, there's an attaining to this. There's some sort of work to be done. And we go, no, we, we know Paul. We know clearly that's not what he's hoping in. He's not attaining life by himself. He's made that clear. Righteousness comes through faith. Not a work of his in Christ. It's a righteousness from God depending on faith. So then again, we go, oh, what do we make of this phrase here? What's, what's Paul saying? As to the text, just the text itself, I think the resurrection Paul has in mind here, this resurrection is a real, he's talking about his real physical resurrection from the dead. We looked at that resurrection power, the new life, in that first part of our chiastic structure here, of this daily, the new life in Christ, the power... Here, I think he's got in mind that future, the actual, the physical rising from the dead. 
one commentator, Walter Hansen, here's his explanation for what Paul is doing. Paul here, he says, Paul is emphasizing the futurity, the future, of the final and complete victory over death. His emphasis on the futurity or the future of resurrection from the dead is yet another way of combating the false teaching of perfectionists who are claiming their attainment of complete perfection in the present. Paul's not claiming I am completely perfect in my life. He's righteous. He's justified. Declared righteous with Christ's righteousness. But in his life, there's a growing. We call it sanctification. We're going to look at that more as we move into verse 12 next week and, and what follows. I think at the least we can say here the Christian life, it's, again, it's one of a journey. It's, it's a journey to attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not earning it, but in a sense, we, we live it out. Paul doesn't see his walk with Christ as just one decision or he got Christ at some moment in his life. He's just going to try to eke it out from there and eventually he'll get to heaven. For Paul, there's a presentness to his life in Christ. And he's got an end goal, resurrection from the dead. It's a walk of, a walk of faith, not a moment, not just a mere moment of faith. Believers in Christ, we abide daily, hourly to Him. Conformity to Christ is living it all out. Paul himself, you recognize a few places, right? He would say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or Romans 6 language, where we were, I think it's just a little further down, Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. There's the resurrection power. You don't have to live that way. You're free. Brandon talked about this. We have a freedom in Christ. You don't have to go back to that. You're not a slave to sin. He's freed you. And then he says, let me start the verse over. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So for Paul, for every believer, our justification is, is just the beginning. It's lived out in our lives. Lives that experience this new life, resurrection power in Christ, through His Spirit, working in us. He convicts our hearts. He sends us His Word. He brings about suffering that we would face trials and our faith in Christ would be refined and strengthened, and then one day rise from the dead to be with our already risen Savior. So knowing Christ then for Paul, knowing Christ is losing all for the sake of Christ, losing all confidence in the flesh for the righteousness from God that is by faith, and that faith leads somewhere. It leads to further knowing Christ, the power of His resurrection, sharing in His sufferings, Ultimately, the resurrection from the dead. This upper Iowa River flows somewhere. It's, it, there's a journey it's going on. You could put a something, hopefully, if it didn't caught by all the, the, the trees along the way, put something in it here and it would get to the ocean. There's a, there's a meandering to it. 
Some of you have perhaps seen along the river or even if you walk across the bridge, these stagnant ponds that are going nowhere unless a flood comes and maybe gets it out of the bed. They're, they're awful. And especially you go out on a 90 degree day like today and just look at the stagnant water and it's just, oh, it's not going. It's just there. It's sitting there. God calls us to move, to move out of stagnant places. And he does it by his grace that's sufficient his powers working in our weakness to move us out to Him. So you believer, if you face trial, suffering, praise God. For in this moment, God is graciously providing a way to know Christ, to know the power of His resurrection in a way we couldn't otherwise. It's really your Heavenly Father loving you enough to show you His glory, to make you like Him. He's deepening, He's widening your knowledge of Christ that you would rejoice in the Lord. Remember we started this whole chapter, rejoice in the Lord and that God would be glorified in us. Let me pray. Father, Your love for us is immense that You would come and call out sinners to Yourself. You would provide a way by Your very own Son, by His death, for enemies, His resurrection, that we would die to sin and live to Christ forevermore. Lord, forgive us for times where we're simply okay with knowing Christ and we're going to live on our own for the rest of our life. We'll just try to make it through this week the, the best we can. Lord, forgive us for not looking to Christ, for not basking in the glory of who You are, Jesus for your greatness to us. Lord, help us in a right way, Lord, to welcome suffering. To say, Lord, thank you. I know through this you're going to grow me towards you. Praise the Lord. And Lord, may we see that, that, that vision. May we share in your suffering. May we become like you in your death. That we may set our goal. That we might not be stagnant ponds of Christ's followers. Lord, move us out of those ponds to the river of joy, to the river of the living water of Christ. Thank you for your grace in this, for your power made perfect in our weaknesses. In your name, amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.